Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of January 28th, 2019. On today's show, Disney's Riviera Resort opens for reservations. That's a lot of R's, Jim. Mm -hmm. Listener questions. And Jim tells us what's going on behind the scenes at Disneyland to prepare for this summer's crowds. But first, let's do a shout out to new subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Thanks to Kiki A., Matthew T., my close personal friend Brad E., and Kevin A. Jim, although I've never met most of our listeners in person, I like to think of them, especially as I ride It's a Small World. In particular, I like to name the animatronic dolls in the ride after each of our listeners so that when I float by on the boat, I can say bonjour to Kiki in France. Say, you're pure berry to Matthew in Scotland. Cry hello to Brad in Holland and hola to Kevin in Spain. Jim, how does that sound for you? I'm sure you do the same thing. I just want to talk to you about your cough medicine intake later. <laughs> Jim, Robitussin isn't just for coughs anymore. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> All right, Jim, some, uh, some quick news. Uh, we mentioned that uh, the Disney's Riviera Resort is open. Let's talk about that. Uh, don't forget, Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, a trusted travel partner of Disney Dish. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. So, Jim, Disney's newest resort, the Riviera, opened for reservations this past Monday mm-hmm. for stays starting December 16th, 2019. A couple of interesting things that I found out. Did you see that it's the first time Disney has offered a two-person studio? Well, yeah, and I was also kind of intrigued. Isn't that the art of animation kind of Murphy bed thing we're looking at? It is. So you walk into the room and there's no visible bed. It looks like a a small side room that you would have in your house, sort of like a living room or a lounge. Mm-hmm. And the bed folds down from behind some bookshelves. It's fascinating. A a, a two-person room. The problem is I looked at this thing and uh, do you know Night at the Opera, the, the Marx Brothers movie? <laughs> the, uh, the, the Marx Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> They're all crammed into a closet. Yeah. So it's just, <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. Looking at that, it's a, if you want to change your mind, you have to go out in the hallway. It's small. It is, it's, small. It's, for, it's for couples who don't need a whole lot of room for their Walt Disney World visit, but not necessarily looking to save money. Did you see the price of this? Yeah. Studio. When it opens in December sixteenth, and granted, I mean it's a it's a holiday, a holiday time. Galaxy's Edge may be open. The Riviera's hot new resort. We'll talk more about its amenities in a, in a second. Mm-hmm. It starts at five hundred and fifty dollars a night with tax for a two person fold down bed, Jim. But it's a queen size land. Jim, it folds down from the wall. It's five hundred and fifty dollars. Okay. I mean, could you get the inflatable air mattress for like three twenty five? Is that is that next on the, I? I was astounded. I didn't even catch that. If you want an actual bed, a bed that doesn't transform into something else when you're not using it, uh, that will start at around 7.20 a night for a deluxe studio with a standard view. If you want an actual view of the fireworks over at Epcot in the studios, uh, you're looking at around 8.75 a night for a studio. One bedroom villas, James, with tax, $1,100. Two bedroom villas, somewhere around seventeen fifty a night. Three bedroom villas with tax, thirty five hundred per night. At that point, you're in well, I mean, Grand Villa territory, but you're in uh, Polynesian bungalow prices around that point. 
you and I have talked about how the the 50th anniversary is is supposedly built around Epcot. And I get this is the new resort opening right near Epcot, but yeah. These prices. Well, here's what here's what I had heard and I heard this almost a year ago mm-hmm. that we were thinking all wrong about where the Riviera was going to be positioned in Disney's resort classification system. Mm-hmm. Everyone assumed, and I did too originally, mm-hmm. that because it was on the grounds of Disney's Caribbean Beach Resort, that the Riviera would also be a moderate priced structure. But then I heard about a year ago that Disney was actually positioning this as like Grand Floridian South. Mm-hmm. That the furnishings, the rooms, the restaurants, the amenities, and the service would all be much more like the Grand Floridian than any moderate resort Disney ever built. And it looks like, based on the the prices alone, if not the stuff we're about to talk about with the restaurants and the other amenities, Mm -hmm. it looks like that was actually true. So if you look at the restaurant that's been announced for for the Riviera, it is Topolino, which of course means Mickey Mouse in Italian, Mm -hmm. but it's a signature resort. And we all know that signature resorts exist only at Disney Deluxe Resorts. Okay. So this is going to be a rooftop resort on the top of the Riviera. It will be French and Italian flavors with spectacular views of the uh, the Netley fireworks. So think, again, California Grill, mm-hmm. but on the Riviera. So again, a, a high-end, uh, they're mimicking basically high-end features found at other resorts. There'll also be a character breakfast experience, and I guess the characters will be in the Riviera. Mm-hmm costumes i don't know what does that mean does that mean speedos on goofy because that's that's <laughs> oh, that, when, oh that, that, what we've that all seen hold on, hold on hold on hold on i'm not i'm not saying anything that isn't already present in impressions de france okay in the epcot film because you know in that riviera scene mm-hmm. there are some guys there with with a massive amount of chest hair mm-hmm. and some really questionable bathing suit decisions i'm just saying jim okay also the gold chains kind of like make it all so i think that's I think that's what it is. Um, also there, there'll be a small coffee shop called Le Petit Café, mm-hmm. where you can grab coffee in the morning, drinks in the afternoon, and so on. Speaking of drinks, Bar Riva will be the poolside bar, and there'll be a quick service uh, place called Primo Piatto. What does Piatto mean? Not sure. I'm, I'm sitting here looking at the piece of concept art for uh, the interior of Topolino's. and Yeah, it's snazzy, isn't it? Are you looking at the view? It looks like the California Grill, but with uh, with different uh, sort of surface treatments. I can see the, the Tower of Terror looming in the distance, and they show you just a little bit in the corner of the American Adventure, the backside of that show building. Oh, but wait, look straight ahead in that in that picture. That's the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, but when you're at the California Grill, the Magic Kingdom is, what, a half mile away? And again, you've had almost 50 years worth of of growth and, and that sort of thing. So you're not really looking down into the backside of the park. Oh, you're talking about all the infrastructure that's, <laughs> that's between you and the, uh, uh, you and the back of Epcot. Yeah. I'm thinking people are overestimating the charm of looking down into where the pargos are parked. Oh, and this <laughs> is where we recycle the cardboard. If this is the view they're suggesting, yeah, what's in what's in the immediate foreground that you can't see in the concept art? That's a good point. One of the one of my big criticisms of both the contemporary and Bay Lake Tower to some extent is that theme park facing rooms mm-hmm. primary visual landmark is the parking lot. Mm-hmm. Parking lot takes up the vast expanse 
of what you see, especially from lower level rooms yeah. with theme park views. I'll be curious to see what the view is from here as well, especially at those prices. That's a lot. Again, it, it, it could be fantastic, right? I once criticized Disney Cruise Line concierge level rooms mm-hmm. saying, saying that they were ungodly expensive and I, I couldn't understand how anyone paid for them. Then I took a trip and used one and I am completely convinced. So we'll see. This is the actual description from Terry Schultz, the, the VP of Disney Vacation Club. The Disney Riviera Resort is inspired by Walt and Lillian Disney's travels to Europe and the Mediterranean coastline from France to Italy. And it just, it kind of bothers me that I could actually go to France and Italy for the, for the price I'd be paying for my cloakroom with a fold-down bed. <laughs> That's a good question. If you uh, if if a three-bedroom villa is uh, is thirty five hundred a night, how long yeah. would you have to stay there before you can afford an actual place at the Riviera yeah. in in the real France? I'm going to do this calculation, Jim, and I'm going to okay. get back to uh, get back to our Th- listeners. Thank you on the uh, thank you. the next show. What did you think of the pool concept art? It looks amazing. And when you have the framework that you provided, that this is supposedly Grand Floridian South, isn't it going to be a disconnect between this wonderful high-end resort and just across the way is going to be Disney's very first moderate with all of its 1988 stylings? I mean, isn't... I'm thinking there'll be some sort of visual uh, barrier between... The two resorts, because yeah, the, the question that I had, like a barrier from Les Mis, because you know that there, <laughs> there there is kind of a have and have nots feel suddenly coming up I, here, you know. Yeah, I was thinking, uh, I was thinking Wall of Flame, but uh, it's not <laughs> oh. not actually shown in the concept art, but I'm I'm sure it's coming. Yeah, that was my question. Like, if you if you had to leave the resort, and it's a huge resort, I'm not saying you do, yeah, but if you left the resort and you wandered over to say mm-hmm. the old Port Royal. Mm-hmm. What would be your experience there? Well, uh, to be fair, though, old Port Royal just debuted. It, it's brand new look, and it's got lovely new stylings, and it's certainly an improved plus look, but it's just sort of like, there's a real disconnect between these two resorts, and I'm, I'm honestly trying to think of, have they ever done anything like this with that no. level of proximity? They've not, but remember, uh, but but this is really the first step in the thing that you and I t- have been talking about now for a, a, a couple of years, where... Mm-hmm. You might have a resort within a resort mm-hmm. at two vastly different categories of lodging, mm-hmm. and Disney's okay with that. It's a way for them to charge more and still use some of the infrastructure okay. from the original resort. I don't think anyone's walking over from the Riviera to Centertown Market to grab a Coke. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one's going to do that. But the fact is that you can use the existing infrastructure, especially the, the support infrastructure, that exists in Caribbean Beach to service some of this hotel at least. Yeah, and well, if you know the actual layout, Caribbean Beach Resort and Pop Century actually mm-hmm. share a number of back of house issues. So yeah, so that, they think that that's what that's what they're uh, that's what they're doing there. By the way, did you catch that the um, for the pool area, the children's play structures are called Cebu Play P L A Y. Oh, high school French that's- coming back to me now. <laughs> At least there's not the word magic or dreams or wishes in it. I uh, I applaud whoever in uh, in marketing came up with that little uh, little clever pun. All right, we'll see what those things uh, those things cost. Mm-hmm. All right, Jim. A couple of uh, listener uh, questions here. The first one is a question from Tom. We'll start off with uh, with that. Uh, hey, Jim and Lynn, big fans of the podcast. I'm wondering how often you guys are down in the parks. I've gathered that Lynn lives in New York City some of the time. What he says on the show and on Twitter it sounds like he's in Orlando a lot. I'm curious for a peek behind the curtain. Thanks, Tom. So, Jim, how often do you get down to 
to Orlando. These days, it's two or three times a year. Face it, I tend to ninja in for press events and, and that sort of thing. That's the thing, yeah. <laughs> it's When you and I talk, it's like, oh, by the way, Tuesday I'm going to Orlando. But it's, you know, for, for 48 hours. Yeah, and that's the thing. We, and, and, and sometimes the Venn diagrams line, line up and Len and I are in the same place at the same time. California is a little different because my daughter lives out there. And of course, I try to get out to see Alice as often as possible and then tend to, if I can build a day or two in, do a hit and run on the parks and that sort of thing. It's the job. So you have to stay current, but it's just, it's kind of weird because other people go to a theme park to enjoy the entire place. And it's like, well, I got to go check out, for example, the new Tropical Hideaway. Uh, that just opened at Disneyland on the site of the old uh, Aladdin's Oasis Asus and <laughs> uh, Tahitian Terrace. It's sort of like literally walk into the park and go to the back to go to this one thing. And it's like, you don't want to go on a ride? It's like, no, I got to check out this thing. I got to go see the Rosita animatronic. It's an odd way to experience theme parks, but not quite as odd as the way you experience theme parks. I mean, I had the exact same experience over the weekend. I mm-hmm. went to Liberty Square specifically to eat a hot dog. <laughs> and that, that's why I went to the Magic Kingdom that day. <laughs> it, was, it was, well, we're going to see if it's still good. You know, and I, I mean, while I was there, I did a few other things, right? I, I walked on a couple of things, but mm-hmm. uh, I did a couple of rides. And uh, But yeah, when I, when I go to the parks now, it's you know, there's usually like a lap mm-hmm. that I do to just sort of see what minor things have changed. Mm-hmm. You know, not so much for the book or for the, the Touring Plants website, because we don't really do newsy type things. Oh, sure. That's not our focus on there. But it's it's more like... Are things working the way they're supposed to? Mm-hmm. Has anything changed that would affect the guest experience that we need to note? Things like that. And so were the hot dogs cooked outside next to the Hall of Presidents still as good as you remember? Oh, delicious, Jim, but $8 now for a hot dog. $8? It, it, $8 for a hot dog. Yeah. The hot dogs go down much smoother than the price. Let me put it that way. <laughs> I did choke on the price a little bit. Okay. Hot dogs are delicious. Okay. In fact, it's funny. I, uh, I actually ate the hot dogs. I was with a friend. Mm. We ate our hot dogs so fast that a guy that was sitting next to us came up and said, where'd your food go? (laughs) (laughs) They're good hot dogs, Jim. I'm telling you they're good hot dogs. Okay. Uh, Anyway, so Tom, I'm I'm roughly there six months out of the year. I'm trying to, I'm down every couple weeks when I'm uh, I'm not there. It's rare for me to go more than three or four weeks and not be in Orlando. That would be super, super strange. And then for the rest of this year, especially when, the gondola system opens up or when the new hotels open up or, you know, when galaxies that chip up opens up, I'll be there for a couple of months straight just to, to make sure that we, we understand everything about that. Makes sense. Jim, we got time for a couple more questions. Next is a question for Aaron. Hey guys, just got back from our first trip to the world in 10 years and we were blown away by the magic band and MDE experience. I have a question about ride photos though. When we first rode slinky dog, I was amazed to see our photos pop right into our photo pass stream. And I assumed it was because we tapped our magic bands right before getting on the ride. However, we were at Animal Kingdom a few days later and only tapped our magic bands when we entered the park. But when we rode Everest, I was shocked to see those ride photos also pop up in our photo stream, even though we didn't tap anywhere else along the line. So my question is, what's their system for organizing an analysis of ride photos like this? So Aaron, it's uh, it's all done on your magic band. One of the things that Disney's done recently in the last couple of years is put sensors, very strong sensors, at certain key points of the ride to detect which magic bands are passing in front of those sensors so that when they take the ride photo a second later, it automatically links the ride photo to the account that is attached to that magic band. And that's how the photos end up 
on your My Disney Experience account without you having to do anything. But Jim, have you heard about the recent story of how this went all <laughs> tragically wrong for one rock and roller coaster rider? Oh, God, yeah. Please tell this story. I love this story. <laughs> so the, uh, on rock and roller coaster, there is a part of the ride, uh, it's, I think it's in a very tight turn, where uh, they do the magic band photo right at the, uh, no, sorry, it's right at the beginning, the acceleration at the beginning when they do the, uh, your hands are up and they do the, uh, the, they slingshot you out at the beginning of the ride on Rock and Roller Coaster. Well, this one unlucky rider of Rock and Roller Coaster happened to, when he raised his arms, lose his magic band. And the magic band landed so close to the magic band sensor off the side of the track that it got picked up for every single ride vehicle that passed in front of the sensor for the next three days. Like it was so close and it was in the, the signal path of the sensor that the sensor just thought this guy was on every ride vehicle that passed in rock and roller coaster for the next three days. He said that apparently he had thousands of photos and my Disney experience alerts, like going off every couple of seconds in the day or so that it took Disney to send someone, a cast member to actually retrieve the magic band. But could you imagine that? He ended up with, I think like 3000 photos. He said, more to the point to say, not me, not me, not me, not me. Yeah, me. No, no, no. Swipe left, swipe left, swipe left, swipe left, swipe left. <laughs> <laughs> could you imagine though, him walking through the park for the rest of the day? Like how soon did his battery drain? Did he just delete my Disney experience? What, uh, what happened there? That's, you know, as he threw his arms up and he saw his magic band arc, off in the distance, his first thought was, damn. I was like, oh, that ain't good. <laughs> yeah, That's like, not going to be yeah. there gonna be problems there. All right, Jim, one more uh, quick question, and then to lead into a rumor mm-hmm. that I've heard about Galaxy's Edge. First up, here's the question from Michelle M. that leads into the rumor. Any word on what the costume policy is going to be for Galaxy's Edge? They want it to be immersive, so can people dress like Jedi, smugglers, rebel scum, and the like? Jim, what are you, uh, what are, what are you hearing about this? Because of the number of cast members who are actually going to be in the land dressed as smugglers, rebel scum, and that sort of thing. No, you will not be allowed to dress as this as you enter. However, once you go to the bazaar, you are perfectly welcome to buy clothing, to buy weaponry. You can suit up while you're there. You just can't walk in wearing a full-on Star Wars outfit. Okay, so it's going to be like TSA and uh, and liquids, right? You can you can't Pretty bring much. anything past the security <laughs> checkpoint, but once you're there, we'll be happy to sell you some. That's right. You can go straight to the duty free store and get yourself, you know, a bantha. But you know, you can't bring your bantha with you, even if you do have the paperwork that says it's your comfort bantha. <laughs> I'm telling you, Jim, you can bring comfort. You can bring uh, comfort ponies. There we go uh, into the so, parks. Mm-hmm. The question leads into the the rumor that I want to talk about. So I was talking mm-hmm. with a sort of a friend of a friend. I was talking with a friend actually uh, yesterday and he's got a brother who has a sister who knows this guy who once worked with a dude in Disney marketing. Mm -hmm. And apparently Disney's either filming or getting ready to release a number of commercials, Mm -hmm. ad spots about Galaxy's Edge. And in one of them, apparently they're going to emphasize the fact that there aren't character greetings as we know them in Galaxy's Edge. Mm -hmm. And the reason why there won't be character greetings in Galaxy's Edge is because the characters are going to be all around you, essentially going about their daily routines. So you're going to be living in the town of Galaxy's Edge or Bantu. Uh, sorry, what is it? Um, uh, the Batu. Town? Uh, Black Spire Batu, sorry. Yes. Right. You're going to be living in the town with them. There's, then there's no place in a town for character greetings because when you live in a town, there's no place for greetings, right? And you're going to meet with them 
by interacting with them in their town. And that was surprising to me. I knew that there was going to, you know, Disney was, was going for, you know, a certain level of immersion here, but I wasn't expecting that. What have you heard on this? Remember how when you used to go into New Fantasyland and you encountered Gaston, he'd just be outside of his tavern or he'd be by the fountain. He'd be strolling about. And right. over time, we saw the creation of a dedicated Gaston meet and greet place. In fact, I, I think it's it's right next to Bonjour, the gift shop yeah, now. And gifts, it has yeah. a, sh a shade structure and a queue. And there's things that Disney says. And then mm -hmm. the Imagineers say, this is how it's going to be. And then they hand the park off to the ops people. And it's like, okay, that doesn't work. <laughs> the ops people will change this. Yes, early on. This is how this is going to be. You're going to have right. cast members who have legitimate scripts and routes. They follow every day that they're in the park there. They have tasks they have to do. They have chores. They've got to get to the market. They're going to meet this guy at the bar, yada, yada. It'll be interesting to see six months after this thing opens, what was done at Disneyland is not done at Walt Disney World when their version of Galaxy's Edge opens. If you say to a cast member, my son would love to get his picture taken with you, and it's like, no, I'm sorry, I've got to go to Oga's bar and pick up credits, and that's not a good guest experience, and they will go and complain. Yeah, they'll do it, but my guess is that they'll try and work the fact that you're asking for a photo into some sort of story. Like, seems very strange. Like, are you part of the part of the empire? Yeah, I think that is the hope. I under my understanding is that. They are trying to script for moments like that, but yeah, in would, much the same way that. when you go to, say, Pandora now, you have the people who are working behind the counter who are talking about the documentary that was made here, the James Cameron movie. Oh, I remember that. Remember when uh, people, uh, when cast members in Pandora spoke Navi? Yeah. 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 That does not happen nearly as often. Although I think, to be fair, in Galaxy's Edge, I, I think they're going to try and stick with it a lot longer. The other thing I think that's going to help them is... You mentioned Gaston being mm. outside of Gaston's tavern, but Gaston is a recognizable sort of big name character. Mm. I think what we're going to see in Batu is more anonymous townsfolk, right? Who won't necessarily be the kind of people that you would get in line for a character greeting for, like arbitrary uh, Jawa or something like that. I think you have a valid point there, but just remember that the Wizarding World of Harry Potter did have this element for a while and... That also kind of fell by the wayside. But all right, we'll, we'll see what happens when this opens. I, all I can tell you folks is don't come to the park dressed. It's not Star Wars weekend. Mm. But on the other hand, they'll be perfectly happy to sell you all sorts of outfits once you go through the portal. All right, good, uh, good point. And speaking of Galaxy's Edge, uh, Jim, I understand that Disney's undertaking a massive amount of work to make sure that Disneyland will be able to handle the crowds when they come to summer. Let's talk about that after our commercial break. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. All right, Jim, recently the Orange County Register ran an article about something called Project Stardust, which is the code name that Disneyland is using as an umbrella term 
to describe all of the things that they're doing to prepare for crowds coming up for this summer's Galaxy's Edge opening. And a lot of it, a lot of these things don't have anything at all to do with the area around Galaxy's Edge. It's actually stuff that's happening around the parks and around the resort. We knew that Disney was doing these sorts of things, Jim, but I was really surprised to see the extent and the scope of this kind of work. Can you kind of walk us through what's happening and what we can expect to see in Disneyland from now until summer when this thing opens? We are about to reach the end of a three and a half year long project. Work on Galaxy's Edge basically began back in January 11, 2016, when Big Thunder Ranch closed, and that was really the first. But when you they made the decision to build this land on that 14-acre chunk at the very back of the park, the folks at Ops took a, a cold-hearted look at how are they going to get back there. They're going to there are three arteries that they're going to use. They're going to go through Adventureland, which is tightest, smallest most congested area in the park to get through. They're going to go through Frontierland, and they're, they're going to go through the castle through Fantasyland. And you have this tight little European-style courtyard that's already one of the most crowded areas in the park. And you're going to send tens of thousands of people surging through all three of these spaces. And we're going to have to clear these arteries out. But at the same time, as every doctor who approaches a heart patient, you know, it's the Hippocratic Oath, the first do no harm. Do no harm, right, exactly. So how do we ease guest flow through these areas? And they took kind of a fascinating approach. For example, in Adventureland, for the longest time when you would enter Adventureland, the way they handled strollers is they just park them down the middle of the street. So if if you're going on Indiana Jones, if you're going on Jungle Cruise, you parked your stroll in the middle of the street, and that just totally disrupted guest flow. Oh, yeah. And the interesting thing is that they had these conversations about, okay, how much money do you think we're going to make in the gift shops of Galaxy's Edge? And it's like, well, you know, a considerable amount. And it's like, would it be enough so that we could perhaps shut down a gift shop or two in Adventureland and actually make that stroller parking? As in, take the strollers off the street, put them inside of a building, make a dedicated space for stroller parking. Wow. Could you imagine what that conversation is like inside the, Disney, the modern Disney company? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just the whole notion of you want me to give up money. <laughs> They did mitigate this a bit by making some of this retail space that they sacrificed area where guests could sit down as they ordered food for Bengal barbecue. So the argument was, well, look. Oh, they're going to put it over there on the uh, so on the right side as you're headed towards uh, there you go. So, And it was kind of also the same thing in Frontierland. It was a notion of, you know, we have all of these planters and seats that date back to 55 and the horticulture people loved them and but on the other hand it makes it difficult if we're going to have a sea of humanity pouring through here so it was they would do things like shave three and four feet off of a planter or they'd move a bench or they'd, they'd change where fencing was and it was always a notion of Unless you are the colossal Disneyland geek that knows the entire history of the company, you're not going to notice this. The day guest is just going to see, okay, there's a bench there and there's a planter there. They're not going to see that it's a smaller planter or the planter's been moved off to the side. So, it, you know, that much easier for guest flow. And mm -hmm. in Frontierland, I mean, they, they got downright ingenious. They would do things like 
They moved the Dumbo queue that had always been in front of the attraction. They actually moved it around to the back, created a shade structure, and opened up a walkway that's been clogged since the new Dumbo was added as part of the new Fantasyland back in 83, 84? Yeah, because now the line for Dumbo was sort of between the carousel and Dumbo, right? Mm. It kind of went on that main east to west walkway between uh, sort of Mad Tea Party and like the Red Rose Tavern, right? Mm. Or sorry, Pinocchio Village House now, right? Mm -hmm. So you'd stand in line basically in in the foot traffic of of everyone else, but Mm. you're saying now it's in the back. Oh, I see that on the the visual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's back behind, back where the, um, closer to the Storybook Land Canal Votes. There we go. Recognizing that while people are in the park and perhaps waiting to get into Galaxy's Edge, let's take this opportunity, for example, to finally fix the Matterhorn queue that's been a pain forever. Well, Matterhorn has two lines, which never made any sense to me, Mm -hmm. right? This was a queue that was created back in 59, back in the era of ticket books. And so right. even just the fact that there were only so many e-tickets that had been sold that day, which is what you needed to ride the Matterhorn, was self-regulating of the line. But when they switched to the passport system where anybody could ride any ride that they wanted, that queue became ridiculous. And that was 1985, and they're finally addressing this issue in 2018, 2019. I know, 35 years later, it's fine. Yeah, you, you, know, you don't want to rush fine. into these things. But, you know, they've done things like, for example, they've reconfigured the queue space for Small World, and they reconfigured the entrance for parades coming in from backstage over by Small World. Okay, but but Jim, Small World is completely the other side of the park. Why why are they doing it there? Largely because again, people who are waiting to get into uh you know into oh. they're going to be spread around the park. You know, for example, if they do wind up setting up a you have a reservation to get into Galaxy's Edge at three o'clock in the afternoon, you're going to be looking for things to do. And again, when you have they're estimating fifteen to 20,000 more people in the park per day. These people need things to line up for. And uh, okay. they've done things like made adjustments to the queue space for Haunted Mansion. They've made adjustments to, as we mentioned, a Matterhorn. And on the other hand, there are attractions right now where they're just sort of like gritting their teeth. Peter Pan's flight remains one of the most popular rides in the park, but it's the way it's positioned in in fantasy land you know literally you come through the castle and bang it's there on the right there's always a line and it always impedes guest flow at that point and it's just this whole notion of we have to do something about that and the attitude to the whole stardust project let's try this and then step back and observe for a couple of weeks and if you know something doesn't work if they put the planner in the wrong place or they put the queue in the wrong place they are willing to go back and revisit it in fact we talked at the top of the show about the brand new outdoor eatery blow-off guest space, a tropical hideaway. Right. They, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Yeah. This was the old uh, Aladdin's Oasis, right? Yeah. And back in the day, it was the Tahitian Terrace. Uh, okay, okay. It's always been sort of shoehorned into the corner of Adventureland. In fact, I want to say a couple of summers back, they had that summer of Indiana Jones where, you know, this was actually where they did a stunt show meet and greet for a while, but it's, it's been underutilized forever. I was going to say it. Yeah. The last time I was, uh, I was there last year, it was a backwater, which is unusual because it's right around the corner from Enchanted Room. Yeah. And it's, it's 
on the way to Indiana Jones. So yep. it's it's in the middle of two relatively popular attractions. But I think the fact that it was sort of behind you and to the left yep. as you turn the corner from Tropical or from uh, Enchanted Tiki Room, wow, it was already behind you by the time you made the turn. Nobody really noticed it. All right, Jim. Let me ask a, let me ask you two uh, two quick things, and then we'll uh, we'll finish up. Number one, how are they going to do ride and building maintenance when fifteen or twenty thousand more people are going to be in the parks in a given day? I mean, it's one thing to say, you know, we're not going to run Splash Mountain in January because it's cold and we need to do the the regular maintenance on it. It's completely another when the lines for all the other attractions in the park are a hundred minutes long. And you really need the additional capacity. What are they? What are they planning for this? The conversations that I've heard about is that bulking up the third shift maintenance team to levels that, the, the, to be honest, the company hasn't seen since the '60s and '70s. There was a time, not all that long ago, when Disneyland was actually closed on Mondays and Tuesdays during what were talked about as the slow season, which was typically the couple of weeks during the fall and a couple of weeks during the spring. And they, they would do a lot of construction during that time. But when Eisner came through the door in 84, one of the things that immediately fell off the table is Disneyland is no longer closed on Mondays and Tuesdays in the fall and the spring. It's, it's open 365 right. days a year. And they had to really beef up the third shift staff to deal with that. And they would do a lot of, of heavy-duty construction on Monday and Tuesdays, the bulk work, and then do painting and the quieter work you know, during the time when the guests were in the park. So mm-hmm. in order to ensure that you have this level of capacity, it does mean you need a bigger staff. Now, also remember that we also need a lot of people to handle a lot of technology, a lot of things that Disney's never done before in Black Spire Outpost. And I'm being told that the new Marvel area that's being built over at Disney's California Adventure will have equally advanced technology. And, and they're going to need not just more janitors, not just more painters, but you know a whole third shift team of technicians who can troubleshoot and keep all of these amazing interactive effects up and running. So look for Disney to be doing a lot of hiring starting this spring, and it will just continue for the next two and three years, and, you know, until Marvel's at least, you know, phase one of the, the Marvel project is up and running over at DCA. All right. That seems to make the most sense. I would expect to a lot of uh, maintenance to get done now, uh, between now and June. You know, well, that's, again, the whole point of doing what they can right now with with Project Stardust. It's shaving in these planters, you know, working on the walkways. In fact, just, for example, the work they've done on Main Street where all of these little subtle things like expanding the space that folks use to, say, take their stroller or their wheelchair off of the sidewalk down onto the pavement. There's a lot of stuff that's been done that... And not isn't necessarily in the front window, but it's just as crucial to make it that much easier for guests coming and going. Jim, one more, uh, one more thing before we go. I want to get your uh, your uh, a quick take on uh, a certain phrase that my marketing friend uh, happened to relay mm-hmm. to me when we were at uh, we were meeting the other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is the friend who's got a brother, who's got a sister, who's got a there we go best friend who once knew a guy who uh, worked in the Disney marketing department. The phrase that he used related to the marketing material. Uh, Galaxy's Edge is in Disneyland, but not a part of Disneyland. What does that mean? You have to go to Disneyland to get to Batu, but Batu is not at Disneyland. Again, once you step through that 
those three portals in Anaheim and the two portals at Disney Hollywood Studios, you are off world. I don't know if you've seen the work that's being done at Hollywood Studios right now to expand Tatooine Traders. Oh, yeah. There was a, a fairly large effort uh, underway the last time I was there uh, last week. Yeah, because again, all of the stuff that we typically want after we get off an attraction, the t-shirt, the, the baseball cap, the coffee mug, that's going to be located there. On the other hand, if you are in Batu, the only things you can purchase there have been flown in. They've come in through a space dock and been offloaded and carried down to the marketplace. Or, you know, they've been brought in from the countryside where somebody milked a banta, so your milk is <laughs> fresh today. It's the sort of storytelling Disney's never done before. And they're already trying to walk that language and that concept out. Let me ask you this question, because this is where my, uh, my contact was headed, was this. Is there any chance that they charge a separate admission for like nighttime or special access to Galaxy's Edge that doesn't include access to the rest of the park? Well, look. Or, or is this something you can't talk about yet? Walt Disney World is going to have the Star Wars Hotel with 100 rooms. 100? I can't get over that number. No, that that's the thing. I, I have already flat out been told it's like, yes, there are 100 rooms and two expansion pads. Yeah, okay. Yes, if you are staying in that hotel, there will be access periods that only you have that you can, you know, for example, you can be there when the marketplace opens for the day and it will literally come to life like any marketplace in Morocco. You know, people will be carrying things in. Have we talked about this on the show? The fact that you'll be able to haggle with merchants for the price of things? Yeah, I, I don't think we've flat out said Sometimes that. I have conversations in my head, Jim, and I'm not sure whether, okay. whether they actually happen in the real world too. <laughs> like when, when I'm planning the show out, you know. Like, do we, There's at do least one audio animatronic character that they're going to have in the marketplace that you will be able to haggle with. But again, I got to tell you, the people who work on the merch side of this, you know, it's like, I love that as a storytelling idea. I hate the fact that someone will then walk down the street and hassle a cast member go, you know, how much for the mug? You know, and it's yeah. like, well, it's marked. And it's like, no, you know, down the no, street. No, no, really. How much is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I can imagine every transaction taking five minutes, you know, the, and, that, and that's not going to happen. Yeah. All right, fair enough. All right, folks, that's going to do it for our show today. We are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, whose handwriting has the faint scent of vanilla, no matter what he writes with. Don't forget to go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.